may be. May God bless you by the hearing and study of His Word. Let's get our Bibles out. Open to 2 Corinthians 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to finish the chapter today. This is one of my favorite chapters in 2 Corinthians. Uh, it's, it's just an amazing passage of Scripture. I'm just really excited about the things that God said to us last week and to prepare us for the things He wants to say to us today. So I'm grateful that you're here. I believe God has a word for you today. And I just want you to know in advance that what He says is because He loves you and He wants you to know these things, to know His nature, to know His character, and to understand how to live in the fullness of all that he is and what he's brought, because so many times uh, we don't. And that's really uh, the heartbreaking reality that we want to address today. Let me pray, and I want to say before I pray, we're going to pray for those in North Mississippi and also Louisiana and Tennessee that were affected by those terrible storms. If you want to give, we're going to be helping people and churches that were affected by the tornadoes. The death toll is just staggering. Um, If you want to give to that end, just uh, grab the envelope in front, put tornado on it and whatever you put in, or you can give online. I'll put a, you can put a notation online or I'll make sure we put a tab on there sometime today that says tornado if you want to do that. Okay, let's pray. Father, hallelujah to you for the beautiful, wonderful cross. God, all that you accomplished on our behalf, what a blessing it is to be counted yours. We're so grateful. Lord, help us this morning. We we have so much in you, and yet so oftentimes we find ourselves stumbling. We, We often define our lives and the world around us apart from you. We need your help to see what is true through the gospel. Will you help us? Help us this morning to measure according to your standard and not ours. God, help us to love with your love. Lord, we pray for all the families that have been affected by the tornadoes. God, our neighbors just to the north, Lord. They wake up this morning in utter devastation, and we, we know what that feels like, and we know what the journey ahead for them is. And, Lord, we pray that the gospel would lead the way, that your people would be the army that marches in and responds, that your love would consume them and embrace them through the difficult times that they face, Lord. We thank you for your great love and care. We thank you for the opportunity to be counted as yours and to participate in what you're doing. May it all be for your honor, glory, and praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So here's, here's what I'm wondering. I'm wondering, um, am I the only one that's ever experienced this phenomenon in life where maybe you're having a great day, you're in a good mood. Everything's going your direction, it feels like. The, the day's just clicking along. And then you hear about uh, some, someone else's great achievement or uh, great accomplishment or great reward or great blessing. And for some crazy reason, suddenly... Your day turns sour. You're just thinking, what, what is happening here? You know, maybe they, got a, maybe they got a great job promotion and you happen to be languishing in your job and you happen to be in a situation vocationally where right now where you are, uh, you keep getting overlooked and people are passing you by that aren't doing as good as you are in your own eyes. 
And see, in that moment, you, you connect to someone else's victory in that area because that's an area that's sensitive to you. It's an area where you are struggling or trying to identify or whatever the case may be and because you feel unnoticed. Instead of just rejoicing in someone else's good fortune, you just begin to struggle with your own situation. It's, it's amazing how all week I've, I've been thinking about this text and how all week there's been all these experiences that I've had that have, have given me opportunity to get some perspective. Last night I was at a banquet where Captain Hendry, right here, our own Captain Hendry, was honored as Law Enforcement Officer of the Year. Of the Year. Now, here's why they're clapping. None of them are police officers. So they're like, isn't that great? Woo, that's awesome. That's so great. Now, if they, I'll, here's what I was wondering last night in the ceremony. As I was sitting there watching all this happen, because there's all these police officers in there, and I'm thinking, what are they thinking right now? Like, how, well, how did he get, I mean, what about me? What, what do you got to do to do that? What about, you know, I mean, they were going, but I was wondering, you know, what are they thinking? But see, as you connect to it, see, if you're disconnected from it, then you can rejoice in it. But if you connect to it, then it could be, a, it could be problematic. You ever had the experience where you're, 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 you're scrolling on social media? Danger, Will Robinson. You're scrolling on social media and... You, you're, you see this post about somebody's great accomplishment in the Lord and all the great things that God's doing in their life. And, and you want to rejoice in that, but you're sitting there with your iPad and you just look over and all you see is another load of laundry. And you're like, hmm. And suddenly something happens in your heart and you start thinking, is that, is that true? Did God really do that for them? Did, why? Did, did they deserve that? Should that have, what, you know, what, or what am I doing? Or where am I going? Or what's happening in my life? Why do we struggle that way? Why do things that happen in other people's lives that have no connection to us whatsoever, they have nothing to do with our lives, have such a profound effect on how we see ourselves and our situation? Have you ever wondered that? There's this whisper in the back of our minds that's always going. Trying to figure out, am I, who am I? Who, who am I? Am I okay? Do I fit in? Do I measure up? Do I really matter? We all have this thing in us where we're wondering if we're, if we're okay. or We wonder if... We wonder if he'll, he'll, he'll always love me or we wonder if she'll always love me or we wonder if I'll always be acceptable or we wonder we wonder how will our kids accept us in the future we wonder these things how do people view me what do they think and what we started talking about last week what's happening is there's thoughts that are not being taken captive and they're running wild in our head and they're swirling around. And if we just let them go, it's going to lead us to destruction. And so let's remind ourselves that the battle is not in the circumstances. Our focus so oftentimes for such a large majority of our lives, for many of us, if we're not careful, is on the circumstance. And I cannot stress this too much. 
You are focused on the wrong thing. You're in the wrong order. We're going to straighten that out this morning. It's not in the circumstance. You got you to pelt this into your head because this is the most unnatural thought to the flesh. It is absolutely unnatural to your flesh to believe that. How do I know the battle's not? This think logically for a second. If everyone's life around you was doing worse than you or started to go in the tank, it wouldn't change your situation or your circumstance, would it? Not a bit. If everyone's life fell apart, your depression wouldn't magically go away. See, you have, to, you have to call the lie the lie that it is. If, if the person who, who you feel like everything goes right for, suddenly everything started going wrong for, it's not going to change your anxiety. It's not about what people do or don't do. It's about what you do with the thoughts that are running through your head. See, remember, we left off. Look at verse 5. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. That should be a, a passage of Scripture that's circled and underlined and highlighted and has arrows pointing to it and so that every time you open your Bible to this page from here on, you immediately focus on verse 5 to understand the context of what's going on. See, why the reason why the Bible is telling us this is because naturally our flesh wants to take our circumstances captive to obey us. This is how we pervert that truth right there in verse 5. We take verse 5, and this is our version of verse 5. See, when it comes down to it, what we crave is control. We are fixated on the circumstance, and we feel like if I could get control of the circumstance, then I could make the circumstance obey me. Then what's driving me crazy or hurting me or, or defeating me or depressing me or whatever the case may be, then I could deal with it or fix it or straighten it out. No. We think somehow our lives would be better if we were doing better than the people around us or better than we, we are doing right now or whatever we tell ourselves. See, th- this is how we do it. We, we, we live in a world of circumstances. And so when we're faced with a circumstance, when that circumstance comes into our lives, into our knowledge, into our world, however you want to see it, immediately what we do is we take the circumstance And we use that circumstance and we apply it to ourselves. Now listen to what I'm about to say. Because it's going to ring some bells in here. You look at this circumstance. You see this thing. You hear this thing. Whatever. You then apply it to your life. It makes you feel a certain way. Then, Christian, then you come to church And you ask God to fix how you feel about yourself or how you feel about the situation or how you. You have no idea how prevalent what I just said is in this room. And you think that you're you're bringing it to God. But you keep getting defeated and you keep struggling with 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 your identity and with your worth and with with God's love for you and with so many giant things. And it's it's not because you're doing the wrong things. It's because you're doing them in the wrong order. You can't let your circumstances define you and then come to God to fix how you see you. That's not taking thoughts captive. He didn't say, take yourself to church. He said, take it captive. When you see 
the circumstance, when you're faced with the the tragedy or the bad news or the difficulty or the fear or the whatever it is. See, ask yourself, when you do a good job, how do you know? How do you know that you did a good job? On what basis have you determined that you did a good job? When you do a bad job, how do you know that you did a bad job? And if you're being honest with yourself in your head right now, what your head's telling you is because, especially when I said bad job, it's because someone told you that you did a bad job. Who? Who told you that? Who are they? What authority do they have? Maybe you did do a bad job. I don't know. But I'm simply saying... Who decides? Who approves or disapproves of you? At the end of the day, who who makes the determination? Approval, disapproval, pass, fail. Who? Who does that? Now, we're going to look from 7 all the way to the end in 17 and 18, but I want you to go to the bottom and let's see where we're going to end so then we can get there. Because Paul is very good at bringing things into into perspective and summarizing at the end. So this is what he says in 17 and 18. He says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Now, the second part of that, you're like, I like that. But what about the first part? What about verse 17? You cannot understand verse 18 unless you understand verse 17. So let's, let's, let's have a news flash. God created us to boast. Contrary to what you might have been taught or to what you think, you were created by God to boast. It is crystal clear in the Bible that this is 100% true, and you cannot live successfully as a Christian unless you understand this. For example, Jeremiah chapter 9 says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Huh. Okay. Where are we going? But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So you should write Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 out to the side of verse 17 and 18 so that you can remember how to make this connection. See, what, what the Bible's saying is that, it, look, the Bible's not saying, what is, what is the Bible saying in Jeremiah 9? It, the Bible's not saying that there aren't wise men in the world, that there aren't mighty men in the world, and that there aren't rich men in the world. It's not the, the scripture's not asking you to deny reality and to act like those things aren't real. They're real. The Bible is in no way advocating that. No. The Bible's saying, don't boast in this, boast in this. It's not saying don't boast, because all look, if it did, you only need verse 23. Don't boast in this, don't boast in this, don't boast in this. Followed by boast in this, which is exactly what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10. What is exactly what you're going to find all over the scripture with regards to boasting. See, we think that boasting is a sign of pride. And we think that not boasting is a sign of humility. And that is completely unbiblical. Completely unbiblical. Everyone is created by God to boast. From the very beginning, think about this. In the Garden of Eden, God's creating. It's good, it's good, it's good. How do we know it's good? What, 
He's creating from what? From nothing. So how do you know it's good? How can you compare it to if it's nothing and you created something, all you have is something. You can't say it's good or bad compared to what? There was nothing before. But God says it's good because God is the one who has the authority to say what's good or what's bad. So he says it's good, 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 good. Then Adam comes along and what happens? Adam comes along and he's, you know, we got all the livestock of the field and he's naming them and all these things and yeah, he's really not getting too excited. There's no indicator that he's all fired up about that. He's just going antelope, duck. Just kind of, you know, all right. I mean, there's probably a couple times, you know, like he's like giraffe. Like, whoa, you know, like that's kind of crazy. But then... The Lord caused him to go into a deep sleep. And he takes a rib. And the Bible says that the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. And notice what the Bible says, and brought her to him. So I don't know what was going on. I know he was snoozing. I don't know if God went around the corner, went behind the bushes and made her or what happened. But all I know is God comes around the corner with naked Eve. I'm just saying. Now, if all you seen was a donkey and a duck and a squirrel, and you wake up from a nap and God comes around the corner with that, and Adam says, whoo, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. So he called her, whoa, man. (laughs) See? What's he doing? Boasting. Now, see, he has a frame of reference. He's like, squirrel, whoo. See? You were created by God to go, look at that sunset. Look at those mountains. Look at that ocean. Look at those flowers. You were created by God to see the birth of a baby and go, what is happening? This is unbelievable. That's very different than than. Almost any other experience in your life. Why? Because things aren't all the same. You see, God didn't create. Do you think that God created us to just be apathetic about everything? What if Adam and Eve would have been in the garden and just went, hmm. All right. No. See? That's how we're made. We need to understand that if if you're not passionate then you're less than you were meant to be. God made us to be passionate. He made us to to feel. He created us in his image so that we would have responses to things, so that boasting is part of what we are. It's how we're made. He didn't make us bland. He didn't make everything the same. He designed us to be be moved by beautiful music. See, that's by design. Think about why did God give us taste buds and smell? He didn't have to do that. I don't know because I can't ask him. But I'm just saying, when I see an animal eating, I'm thinking, do they know the difference? You know what I'm saying? Like as a cow going, you need to get over here. This grass right here, amazing. I mean, I don't know. But I know what I feel. I know the difference between Brussels sprouts and ice cream. That's what I know. I know the difference. And Brussels sprouts never make me want to worship anything. God made us that way. 
He made us to appreciate delicious food and to, and to smell beautiful smells. But see, the, the warning is, the danger is, because what happens in sin? Everything good is perverted. So boasting is perverted. So here's what happens. We, we, we get accustomed to this life in the fallen world, and our, our boasting becomes renegade boasting. It's non-captive boasting. We start boasting because we're made to boast. All of us boast all the time about something. But what happens if you're, not ta- if, you're, if you're doing things in the wrong order, if you're going circumstances, me, then you come to church, it's all mixed up. And you got renegade, uncaptive thoughts, which leads to all this uncaptive, renegade boasting. And then we start boasting in the wrong things. We, we start seeing ourselves as the sinner. That's what happens. So that's why, that's why all you can think about is your circumstances. And you even, some of you know it's wrong, but you can't stop. You're, all you can do is fixate on this thing that's wrong. And there might be a hundred other things that are right, but the, all you see is the wrong thing. It's renegade thoughts, renegade boasting. But see, when those thoughts are taken captive, it's a whole different, it's a whole different scenario. It's, it's a whole different experience. Renegade thoughts and renegade boasting is going to lead you. It's going to make us a slave to sin. Because why? Because it's idolatry. It's what it is. It's idolatry. So when he says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord, this is what the Bible's telling us. Make your boasting worship. Worship. If you get your order correct, if you understand what taking thoughts captive is, everything begins to change. Instead of thinking thoughts like, I wish I was greater, you think a thought like, I'm reminded of how great God is. See? Those are two very different thoughts. So let's look at verse 7. Verse 7. Paul says, interestingly enough, look at what is before your eyes. So Paul is going to call them to exactly what I've been talking about. Look. Look with your eyes. Look at your circumstance. Look at your situation. And then ask yourself, if anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. Now, when he says are Christ, understand something. He doesn't mean conversion. He's not saying if anyone is, is confident that he's converted, if he's confident that he's saved. That's not what Paul's talking about. He means if anyone is confident that he is Christ chosen, that he is Christ affirmed, that if God looks upon him with favor or love, if you're successful in God's eyes, in Christ's eyes, that's what he's talking about. How do I know this? Because the Corinthians were absolutely riddled with focus on the externals. Look at verses 8 and following. For even if I boast a little too much in our authority, which the Lord gave me, gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening to you in my letters for they say his letters are weighty and strong but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent we do when present notice everything they're saying about Paul is external look down at verse 14 and then Uh, We get another glimpse of what they're saying about Paul. He says, for we're not overextending ourselves. So if we know what they're accusing Paul of by what Paul tells us right here. That's why he's saying these things. He's literally quoting them, the things that they're saying. So they're calling him cowardly. They're calling him weak. They're calling him, you know, 
they're attacking, like I said last week, his, his personhood, his, his appearance. And then in verse 14, we're not overextending ourselves. It, see, claiming that, that, that Paul is, is, is claiming power and authority that he doesn't have. Now, here's what you need to think about. Think about all these accusations against Paul. And here's what occurred to me. That's the same charges made against Jesus. See, wasn't, wasn't the charges against Jesus, wait a minute, who, who are you? You can't. Jesus would forgive sin and they freak out. Well, who do you think you are forgiving sin? You are from Nazareth. You're pitiful. We know your family. You're ordinary. You, they attacked his personhood. They attacked who he is. And then they would say, you are overextending your authority. You don't have authority to say that about the temple. You don't have the authority to say that about somebody's sin. Isn't that what they did? It's exactly what they're doing to Paul. All of this is by, look, think, think about this. It just proves it's, it was God's perfect design. Galatians chapter 4, in the fullness of time, he comes, how? Born in a barn, in a trough, on purpose, not in a castle, not where kings come from, not not of the lineage that you would expect. God purposely does that. Why? Why? To get us to understand the kingdom of God cannot be evaluated on externals. But we do this all the time. It's killing us. See, look. The Bible teaches that at the moment... God saves you. Your citizenship is in heaven. Isn't that what the Bible says? Yeah. Your citizenship is where externals cannot define anything. That's where your citizenship is. You are, are adopted into a family that has a new paradigm that doesn't define anything by externals. And yet, look at how we live. Look at verse 12. He says, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. So clearly this is happening. And Paul's saying, man, I wouldn't dare do that. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, what are they? They're without understanding. Understanding of what? The kingdom of God. The God who saved them. The purpose in how he did everything in the Bible from A to Z. The whole entire story. You have to change the context of of the entire redemptive story to live otherwise. He's saying, you're without understanding. You don't even know who God is. What are you doing? When you go straight from your circumstances to yourself, you immediately make yourself the center of the universe. And you get your identity. Here's the problem. Here's here's why there's such an identity crisis in the church. Because you're getting your identity from externals. Because you're making yourself the grid. Your, your grid is external things. You see, you look at your circumstance and you determine whether it's good or bad or whether it's hard or easy or whether it's this or that based on what? What you see around you. So you have based your circumstances on other circumstances, other people, other things, external, based on external, which then creates you with an identity based on externals. Then you come to church. That's why so oftentimes you sit in church and everything starts to make sense. 
But then you go back and it goes haywire again. Because you're doing it wrong. You're viewing the world by a completely wrong grid. You're basing all of your assessments of all the circumstances around you based on faulty things. Listen, it doesn't matter who the person is, okay? You can't, if you say to yourself, well, this is what's happening in my life spiritually, and this is what's happening in somebody else's life spiritually. You could say this is what's happening in your life, and this is what's happening in Pastor Tony's life. And you go, how come what's happening in my life can't, or what's happening in Pastor Tony's life can't happen in my life? And here's the problem. What are you comparing? You're comparing two broken things to figure out what's fixed. They're both broken. I'm broken. You're broken. Don't look at me. I'm broken. Don't look at your neighbor. They're broken. Don't look at your parents. They're broken. Don't look at your siblings or your boss or your best friend or any, everyone on Facebook is God knows broken. Broken. So you're just using broken things to make a grid, which is what? Going to lead you to brokenness. Well, there's no, there's no grid. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, why does my life matter? Because of what I do? Because, because of what I'm good at? The only way I could know that, the only way I could calculate that is I have to base that against something else. Someone else. And what, well, if it's what I do, then I have to look at other people that do what I do to connect, see? If, if it's what I have, then I have to look at what other people have to connect. What is it? Is it, is it, is it your marriage? Is it your kids? Is it your finances? Is it your health? Is it your, is it your intellect? Is it your, what is it? Is it, I mean, whatever it is, what do you, where did you get the grid? What if, we, what if we went straight from our circumstances to the gospel, then to ourselves? Can you imagine what church would be like on Sundays if everybody did that? It, it, we'd blow the roof off this place. The re, the, but the problem is we got all these broken down, limpy, leg dragging, you know, zombies coming in every Because you're just destroyed from the weak. But what if, what if whatever you're facing, what if whatever happens, what if whatever's going on in your life, what if you filtered that through the gospel first before you allowed it to apply to yourself, before you allowed it to shape your identity, what a, it would transform everything. See, then it would be regardless of my circumstances. My life matters because of Jesus. It, it wouldn't, it's not denying that it's hard. It's not denying that it's bad. It's not denying that it's tragic. It's not denying that I wish it wasn't. It's not, all of those things are still true. But what a difference if you filter it through the gospel first. If my identity is found in Jesus, well, then there's, there's, no, there's no comparison in externals. Why? Because my identity is 100% Settled and 100% secure. Because Jesus never changes. So see, he's just, he's always the same. Always perfect. Always wise. Always right. So if my identity's found in him, then, then suddenly all these ups and downs start leveling right out, don't they? Yes. And then I'm able to weather whatever storm may come because I have Christ. Yes. And how am I weathering it? Is it, I'm still in the storm. Don't you get it? 
Stop trying to make the storm go away. You're not God. You have no control over the storm. But you have total control about what your mindset is walking in and through the storm. That's what taking thoughts captive is. That's what identity in Christ is. And then when you hear about other people's victories, even when they're close to you, they have no, they have no bearing on your identity or your value. See, you can just celebrate anything. You're not jealous. You're not envious. You're not. You don't walk around self-conscious, put other people on eggshells. No. See, all of that goes away. I'm in Christ. I can be at peace. I can relax and be me surrendered to Jesus. Praise the Lord. What a beautiful thing. Think about this. Nobody can be me surrendered to Jesus except me. This is what the gospel wants you to understand. This is what Paul is trying to get the Corinthians to see. The greatest you that can exist in the universe is you surrendered to God. There's no other version of you. It's you. There's only one of you. Nobody else has the same gifts or struggles or experiences or circumstances or upbringing or on and on and on it goes. Why didn't God make five models or ten models and we're all one of those? You know, some of us got a sunroof, some of us didn't. Some got leather in tears, some got cloth. Some are two-wheel drive, some are four-wheel drive, some are four-door, some are two-door. Why didn't he just make us like cars? What a disaster. You know how God protected us from that? But we act, that's how we act. But God, in his, in his infinite wisdom and grace and mercy, made every one of us unique and one of a kind. Why? So that we wouldn't fall into this dumb trap. What are you doing? You see how crazy that is to look at another person and go, well, why do they this? Or why can they this? Or why didn't this? Or why me? Or what? They're not you. They can never be you. You can never be them. You're denying the reality of what God says you are. Stop looking at externals. Listen, none of us, none of us in the room are the best at anything we do. If you don't like that, you need to repent now. Just come to the altar right now. Like if in your heart you think you're the best at anything, you are demented. You need help. You are not the best at anything at all in this universe There is somebody better than you at everything except one thing. Being you. Being you surrendered to God. That is the pinnacle of identity. That's the pinnacle of existence in this world. That's the pinnacle of usefulness in God's kingdom. That's the pinnacle of fruit production in this kingdom. That is what Christianity is meant to be. See in verse 13, but we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard, watch what he says, to the area of influence God assigned to us. See that? To reach even to you. You see what Paul says? See how beautiful and and simple this is? He's saying, it's not a, It's not up to me to manufacture the outcome of my faithfulness. That's what you're trying to do when you go circumstances, you, church. Circumstances, you, Christ. You're trying to manufacture 
the results of faithfulness. That will never work. Circumstances, faithfulness, you. That's how it has to go. You, you don't, listen, the outcome is up to the one that we're being faithful to. The outcome is up to the one we're surrendered to. The circumstance is up to the one we're surrendered to. Yes, it changes your whole perspective. This is now suddenly reading the Bible is not so weird. Because you see people celebrating when horrible things are happening and rejoicing in God when their circumstances are terrible. And you're going, I don't get it. That's why you don't get it. Stop trying to manufacture the outcome. If Look, if you're approved by God in Christ, then who else's approval do you need? Who, 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 who do you need to tell you that you're okay? You get to wake up tomorrow and be you, surrendered to Jesus. Well, think about that. Man. Nobody else in the world can do that. Proverbs says there's a, a way that seems right to man, but in the end it's destruction. What seems right to us is to think about all the things we don't like about ourselves and to think about all the things we don't like about our situation. And somehow the world's even convinced us that, that that's really the, what a motivated person ought to do. You ought to motivate yourself. Why don't you read some secular uh, leadership books and they'll teach you. You ought to believe in yourself and motivate yourself and get up and work hard and do the best you can and make your destiny and attack this and blah, blah, blah. And, and what? What good would it be for a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? What's the, is that what we ought to do? No. And here's the thing, and every person that you know or read about or, or watch on YouTube giving lectures about it, they're all empty and broken, and that's why they can never stop chasing or running. Because it won't satisfy, it won't fill. But if you, if you devote your life to being the surrendered version of you, you will find peace and fulfillment and satisfaction and meaning and purpose, and God will use you beyond your wildest imagination. All the things that you think God can't do in you. Who do you think you are? Where did you come up with this nonsense idea? That's your broken grid. See, I, I don't need external validation because I have received internal affirmation in Christ. That's what's happened. Internal affirmation. The way that I am prepared for all the moments that are in front of me that I don't know what they are, I don't know what they hold, I don't know where they're leading, I don't know what they're going to feel like. I don't, I don't know all the things you don't know. I could be afraid of all the things that everyone in the room is afraid of. But what good is it going to do? What difference is it going to make? What's it going to change? But here's what I know. I know the Bible teaches us that if I live my life under the foundation, like the, the core essence of who I am, my understanding of me as a person and an individual is that I'm affirmed by Jesus. Suddenly, everyone else's opinion shrinks away. Whatever's going on in, in the, in, around me and in people's lives around me, I'm free to, to celebrate or to mourn or to see, I can feel whatever the appropriate feeling is about anything that I see going on around me because my identity is not shaped by any of those things or affected by any of those things. God affirms me. See, He loves me. 
He chose me. He adopted me. I'm his. Nothing can ever change that. He can never love me more than he loves me right now. So all the voices in my head, I can take them all captive. I can say, nope, 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 nope. I know what's true. This is what I want us to do this morning. Put all your stuff away. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. Just sit right where you are. This is what I want us to do. I want you to repeat after me out loud. I want you to hear your voice and everyone else's voice together. We're going to say these together. What's true? In Christ, I am chosen. I am changed. I am a new creation. I am forgiven. I am blessed. I am victorious. I am set free. I am healed. I am free from condemnation. I am more than a conqueror. I am dead to sin. I am alive in Christ. I am accepted in Him. And I am complete in Him. God doesn't make mistakes. And God made me. Father, will you take what is true and bury it deep into our hearts, Lord. The reality of what you have accomplished for us. Help us to see with clarity what you have done and to respond to you in honesty. And maybe this morning... You're calling people to yourself in salvation. And so, Lord, in this moment, as hearts lean into you and they're not sure what to do or what to say or how to respond, just help us to understand, Lord, what it means to come before you and to say, Lord, I'm sorry for the way that I've allowed the world to define me. I'm sorry for the way that so many of my actions and behaviors and thoughts and feelings have been determined by external things. And Lord, I believe the gospel, but I've, I've misplaced it. And what I, what I want this morning is I want for you to sit rightly on the throne of my life. I want you to be the determiner of how I respond to everything that comes into my life through your sovereign hand. So God, will you save me? Will you renew me? Will you refresh me? Will you remind me? Whatever it is I need this morning, God, I know you can give it. And so I ask in Jesus' name that you would do that. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in your son's perfect, holy, capable name.